Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. Tim on Ledgerd, no Scott Reynolds, no Mark Cook with me on the show today, but I am excited and thrilled to be joined by a good friend of mine and one of the draft analysts in the community that I respect the most. And Jordan, I don't know if it's a fair for me to say this, but I think I would give you the moniker of the nicest draft analyst out there when everybody else is going to war and being crazy during draft season and going back and forth you know getting ticked off about which defensive tackle somebody has with a third round grade you're just always smooth sailing always i know i can come to you for calm level-headed opinion jordan reed from the draft network everyone thanks jordan for uh, being on the show with us today and giving us your insight yeah it's always a pleasure i like to stay even keel with all of my evaluations just because i'd rather just talk about it in person or through dms man i can get it all right. off my chest that way as opposed to just out in the air and just letting the bullets fly so that's, <laughs> that's right. how i've always felt about it especially when you know as well as i do some of these prospects search their own name occasionally and you that's always right. got to be yeah, on your toes <laughs> Yeah. I'll have to tell the story sometime on this podcast, but uh, Devin White was one that actually when he was coming out as a prospect, he would actually search his name. And uh, he found a couple of tweets about it. I, I like Devin White coming out, but he found the one or two negative ones. But I'll tell that story on the pod maybe at some point too. Uh, it's some pretty funny interactions between he and I well before he was a Buccaneer and well before I was covering him. You've probably got some like that as well, Jordan. We are going to hear mostly from you today and your perspective on a lot of these prospects and uh, what you think of the class so far, especially at key points of position or positions and points of need for the box. You know, this is a team that does not have many needs. Uh, we've talked about that on the podcast uh, needs per se, but they're also a team that's looking to get better basically across the board and especially younger on the defensive line, the interior defensive line, um, edge rusher, and then also at running back uh, potentially. So a lot to dive into on today's show. It's going to be a lot of fun for sure. And it's all brought to you as always by our friends over at this. Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. I'm not drinking a Celsius today, actually. It's a surprise for me uh, on the show, uh, but I, because I already drank mine today, but I am representing myself with my Celsius shirt. Uh, Celsius, man, it is a game changer energy drink. Uh, no sugar, uh, the ability to give you the energy that you need without giving you all the unhealthy stuff you're getting from your other caffeinated products that you're usually drinking. Um, they also gluten-free, dairy-free, as my wife just switched to, they've been, she's able to continue to drink them and continue to use them. And the best part is the part that I didn't think there was any chance in the world when I first heard about this, I didn't think they would taste good. Like I'm just not a big, like, I'm not a big flavored drink person anyway. But then when you add in like the fact that there was all, there's no sugar, like, okay, how could this be? I mean, they taste unbelievable. I've had several fans mention to me that they've uh, replace soda for them completely, um, which is obviously great for your health, uh, but also really cool that they could do that from a taste perspective. That's what you're getting for Celsius. Um, so it's a really great product. Check them out. You can go to Celsius.com and check out their uh, their different brands and flavors there, but also you could go to Amazon and buy, get the variety pack and order it that way. Uh, but yeah, go click on the Celsius ads at pewterreport.com because that 
that tells them, hey, P Report's moving some product for us. Um, so we always appreciate that, of course. Jordan, we got a thought to talk about in this uh, draft class uh, for several reasons. Uh, there are a million options for the Bucs. They are picking at 32 for the first time ever. The last time they won the Super Bowl, they didn't get to pick at 32 because they'd already traded that first-round pick when they were trading for John Gruden to be their coach. And so now you're picking at 32, and you've got a million different scenarios. As Jason Light was on the podcast the other week, and he was saying, we just have so many scenarios we have to run through to see what's going to happen in this class and what's going to be in front of us. Where do you see this class being like if you're sitting at 32 and you're just guessing what's going to happen on the board in front of you? Obviously, you know, for example, a lot of quarterbacks will probably come off the board. What do you think? What position groups do you think could be hitting their stride, getting into the sweet spot right around 32? And then I guess of those positions, what might the Bucks be interested in given the way you see the class? Well, ironically enough, I think it's going to be all of the positions that the Bucs possibly could be their weakest at. I think edge rusher, I think that's somewhere where they definitely could hit their stride, especially in the 20 or 30 range. And this class is, I wouldn't say it's weird. I'd say it's a little bit different from what we have seen in years past, just because years past we've seen guys at the top, like there's that blue chip guy like a Chase Young or a Miles Garrett or the Bosa brothers or somebody like that. We don't really have that in this class. And I think there's so many different types and different flavors in this edge rush class. And you've been diving deep into a lot of these guys. There's really no mm -hmm. consensus at the top right now. And you've heard guys like Wadey Pay and Gregory Russo and even a guy right. like you haven't mentioned and, and Jalen Phillips that a lot of people are starting to come around on just from an on the field standpoint. So it really just depends on what type of flavor of edge rusher that you like. And but I think it's a deep class overall. I think we're going to see a ton of guys go in like the top 75, top 80 range just because I think that's where a lot of teams are going to be comfortable taking a lot of these guys. I don't think there's going to be yeah. a, a ton of guys that go in the first round just because of the question mark that's around a lot of these guys. Like if I was a betting man, I think the only three that we would see go in the first round is probably Quidi Pay, Ojolari, and then Rousseau just because I don't really know if it was off the field situation and what happened at UCLA and then the concussion yeah. issues. But just from an on-the-field standpoint, I think he, he would be a bona fide first-round guy just because of the traits, but with the off-field stuff and then what oh, happened yeah. at UCLA, the concussion stuff, that may keep him out of the first round. Yeah, for sure. Okay, let's talk about Jalen Phillips a little bit because you're saying there's a chance he could be there for the box of 32. I wrote about this last week. I said, look, it's a possibility. I think he's the best edge rusher in the class. Uh, I've seen almost all of them at this point. I haven't seen enough of all Jalari to be able to compare just yet. But I, I think from what I've seen, Jay Phillips, to me, hands down, he's the most he's the best edge rusher in the class. There's this outside shot that he's there at 32, right? Because he, as talented as he is, there is this stuff, UCLA, and there were some some issues there. And, you know, he, he, there's, there's articles out. There's some of it's public, some of it's not. But uh, what's public is at least that – maybe after some things happened, some injuries happened, he lost love for the game a little bit, came back and added weight and transferred to Miami. He was into music for a while. Again, these are things you and I might have not have any problem with. We know enough about the NFL at this point to say, right. the NFL is always going to say, hmm, how committed are you to the sport? How committed are you being great? You know, do you like other things? Do you like partying? Do you like music too more? You know, all these things that it's just like, yes, it gets ridiculous sometimes, but we know it's a part of the process whether we like it or not. And so, okay, you think Jalen Phillips – could be there. What I guess, what have you heard about Jalen Phillips? You know, the the person, the the player in terms of his commitment to his craft. I guess what have you heard about him that you're willing to say? And what do you see in his tape that makes you speak so highly of him? Well, I've actually had to have I've been pleasant enough to have a conversation with Jalen through the direct messages we follow each other on Twitter, just because mm. I kind of like painting the picture 
of these guys, not just from an on-the-field standpoint. Like, both of us can cut on the coach's film and see that he's a very gifted pass rusher. But I really like understanding these guys as a person just because I'll never forget. This is like the scouting story that I love to tell. So back in 2017, I had Malik McDowell and Ruben Foster in my top 10 players. And obviously both yeah, of those yeah, guys me had too. <laughs> circumstances. And like I, I would never make that mistake of again of just being oblivious off the field stuff. So just reaching out to these guys and just getting a better feel of them as not only players on the field, but I like to get to know them off the field now with their helmets off. And he seems like a player that really loves the game. Like I can't really speak on what what happened at UCLA as far as losing his love for the game. Um, maybe that's something that he's going to keep personal. I'm sure he shared it with teams mm-hmm. just so they could check mm-hmm. that box off of his resume uh, as far as preventing them from being a stain uh, on his draft portfolio and things of that nature. So I can't really speak on as far as the factor of losing his love for the game. I don't know what happened behind that. And when that was reported, I can't speak on that. But from yeah. all the conversations that I have had with Jalen, he seems like a player that's super driven. I've talked to people at XO's which is where he's training right now. Mm-hmm. They said he's been fully engaged. He's been early to every mm-hmm. workout, and he's doing a great job down there. So uh, I, I don't see anything as far as him being a player that doesn't love the game or is going to lose love for the game. So mm-hmm. I don't really know what happened with that off-the-field hiccup in that situation that happened there. Yeah, certainly plays hard. I mean, certainly physical, certainly aggressive on the field. You know, no issues there at all from what I saw. Again, sometimes those things happen. You're younger in college, and the injuries mounted too. I mean, three concussions, yeah. that's not – anything to mess around with well as well. And that may ultimately be the thing that scares teams more than anything. But again, hard to speak uh, to a lot of those things. Okay, so purely on the field, let's put the other stuff aside for now, purely on the field with Jalen Phillips. Do you think he's the best edge rusher in this class? If you didn't have to worry about anything off the field, would you take Jalen Phillips as the top? If you were a team that needed an edge and you're in the top of the draft, everybody's on the board, would you take Jalen Phillips over the rest? If we're talking strictly from a straight standpoint, uh, without question. I mean, you go watch him against Virginia Tech, even though he was playing opposite of Darisaw in that game. Right. I mean, he was showing everything that you want to see. He had a really nice swim move. He, he was doing spin moves. He showed to be super physical against pullers that were coming his way, and he was closing down and hinging those gaps. So mm-hmm. it's not a situation of where he's just a gifted pass rusher. I think he's a versatile guy as well as against the run. I think he's super tough. He's very physical. Just go watch the yeah. Duke game as well. And, I mean, Duke offensive line isn't great, but – a dominant edge rusher, you want to see him take over a game. And he did that from start mm-hmm. to finish. And I think he really tried during the backstretch of last year. So as far as a, as far as hand-to-hand combat, pass rush creativity, and then just him having that canvas uh, as far as structure as a pass rusher, I think the sky's the limit for him. And he's already coming through the door as a very seasoned guy with his hands already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. But, you know, I thought as the year went on, those last seven, eight games or so, man, he was just killing people with his hands too. And it's pretty scary when you, you get back into football after that long off and you've done all this to your body and you had a year, you haven't played at all. And you really barely played the year before that. And, you know, it's just like, man, how can and to hit the ground running to get, to get acclimated that quickly to have a dominant season. It's, you were talking about a special, I mean, you're not talking about something that every player in this draft can do or in any draft can do. I mean, he really is, yeah. A very talented player. And again, if you're picking a 32, yeah, you know, you want to get a player that's clean and all this. I know Bucks have prioritized those types of things, but I think it really has to be a priority where you're saying, okay, we also want to get best player available. And if a value like this comes up, we'll see, you know, and even if he's falling a little bit, we'll see. Okay, let's talk about some of the other edges in this class. There's a couple other Miami guys. I know Bucks fans have been 
interested in them. I know they might not go in the first round. One of them might be a first rounder. The other one, Quincy Roche, might not be a, a, a first rounder. It might be a day two thing. When we did our Bucks seven round mock draft, our first one of the year, Quincy Roche was the Bucks second round pick. What have you? What do you think of Quincy Roche's game? Where would you value him in this class of edge rushers? I think somewhere along day two. And yeah. what's different about him from some of these other guys is that he doesn't have the supreme length like some of these other guys have. So kind of gets stuck at the apex of those rushes and he doesn't have like super inflation to where he can dip, bend and rip against some of these longer type of offensive tackles. So I think the length questions is something that's always going to be an upper battle for him is because he's not able to swap those hands like a like a Cootie Pay or Ojalar or even a Joseph Masai. Uh, like some of those guys are able to. So the length questions yeah. is something that is always going to be a detriment to his game, but he plays really hard. That's something I've never had a question about with him. And I think he's mm-hmm. versatile, like Phillips as well, where he's physical against the run. And then, I mean, he went to Temple. Um, he had a single-digit number there. And something that Temple, that they award whenever somebody has a single-digit number, kind of signified his Temple tough. So he's seen as a leader. Um, you know, he, you know, he's a guy that's going to give you his all when he, whenever he walks yep. through the door as well. So I'm a fan of Roche. You just kind of have to have like realistic expectations for him. And I think he's probably better as like a complimentary piece. He's never going to be that headliner guy. But if you put him opposite of another dominant guy, I think you get some positive production from him. Right. Okay. We see him pretty similar than it sounds like, you know, I, again, I, I know that early on people were talking about him as a, as a late first rounder or early second rounder, I didn't quite see him in that light. Didn't think that necessarily he was a bad player or anything like that. But again, I think you're talking about traits and I think that they definitely do matter. How about Gregory Rosé? I, I just watched him and I just really don't know. I mean, I know that people were talking about as a top five pick before the year, then he didn't play. He had all these sack numbers in uh, 2019 but when you watch the tape, it's like, okay, a lot of this came on the interior. A lot of it, some of it was unblocked. There's not very many reps of him winning off the edge, but he probably can't hold up on the interior full time, right? So I guess just what do you make of Gregory Rose and where do you see his draft stock right now? Slash, where would you think that he should be valued? So the first thing that I always say about anybody after they watch Rousseau is that you have to kind of use your imagination with him. And I say that because coming out of high school, you play wide receiver. And safety. Right. So he's only played defensive end for two years. And yeah. I mean, you just look at him on the hoof. He's six foot six, 270 pounds. And whenever you put up 19 and a half tackle for loss and 15 and a half sacks and only your second year playing defensive end, that's always going to catch the attention of evaluators. And he's one guy that I was really hoping to see this year because I was, mm-hmm. I wanted to see if he could repeat that production, really show some more as a pass rusher. I don't think he has significant juice. I thought he was going to be a little bit more explosive than what I saw on tape. And I think that's why they reduced inside a little bit more just so they could they take advantage of his length. And his closeness was just too much for some guys inside. And like you said, he was on block a couple of occasions as well. But that's why I said I think you have to kind of keep him in perspective a little bit of where and this is one of my favorite side of terms. You kind of have to see him from two different lenses, from like a microscope mm-hmm. and a telescope. So you're looking at him right now with the microscope, and he's not super explosive. Uh, he has to be reduced down inside to take advantage of his straight, but he really doesn't know much as far as pass rushing moves. He's still really just experimenting, and it's kind of like trial and error with him, and you right. see that throughout the year. So I think he's one guy that you definitely have to be patient with, and he's somewhere he has to go somewhere where he's not forced to be the guy right away. So he has to go somewhere that maybe has like a 12 to 15 type of sack guy opposite of him 
just so he can hide a little bit, if that makes sense. You can develop him along the way. That's why I say you kind of have to use your imagination with him. But if you grade him just strictly off what you're seeing, right now you're not going to be very impressed, especially if you just look at stats. If you just look at the stats, you're going to be like, man, you're expecting a dominant edge rusher that's coming off, you know, that's just exactly right. an explosive off of the edge. Yeah, so that's not what you're going to get from him. So he's, he's super raw. Um, but I kind of like his outlook. He just has to go somewhere that has a dominant guy opposite of him so you can slowly bring him along. Right. Uh, it's interesting because I don't know whether he'll be on the board for Tampa Bay or not. I really don't. Um, but the reality is <laughs> – I don't know whether he's the best fit either. I mean, again, it's it is there are the guys there, so you have that aspect of it, but it's also like okay, what you know, last year, uh, uh Todd Bowles is dropping these guys into coverage, like everybody had career highs, uh, in, in coverage, and so I'm like, man, I don't know whether that's a role for Gregory Rosa down the line. I mean, maybe eventually it is, but right now, you know, I see him basically as a guy that that has to be moved around, like you said, play a package of snaps early on. and. But there were some similarities when I was watching him. I thought, oh, okay, like he kind of moves a little bit like Jason Pierre-Paul. Um, you know, when I when I watched him, I was like, I can see that. But I didn't see the same level of like violence and relentlessness. I mean, Jason Pierre-Paul's game, he's a, he's, a, he's a dog. You know what I mean? Like he gets after it yeah. every single snap. And I'm not saying that Russo was a slouch, but I just thought that that's a trait that really makes JPP JPP because JPP's never been super explosive, right? In his first step, his first couple steps, right. very like much like Russo. Russo's not going to win with speed and quickness, really. They might have some flexibility, but unless they really beat the guy off the line, the, the lineman gets a bad first step or gets late into a slide, like he, you're not going to see that bend really show up. That's not really how they win as much. And so because of that, I thought, okay, there's some similar limitations here. But JPP's got that nastiness that helps him overcome that. I just wasn't sure that I saw that in Russo. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up. DJ actually made that same comparison on his podcast a few weeks ago when he was watching him. Oh, wow. So great minds think alike. And <laughs> if you think about it, who did JPP learn under? Michael Strahan, OCU Manure. Mm-hmm. So he was in that system of where he was forced to be the guy right away. And let's say Gregory Rousseau does go somewhere late in the first round. I think the Bucks will be a really good landing spot for him. It, it depends upon if they bring Shaq Barrett back. I don't know what their plans are for that. Of course, they love to bring him back, but he's going to be looking to get paid. But if he can sit behind a JPP and a Shaq Barrett and all these other pass rushes that they do have, but where he's not forced to be the guy right away, I think Tampa Bay will be a really good spot for him. And he dropped a little bit in coverage against Florida State. Um, and then in Duke, uh, not Duke, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah, against Duke as well. Um, they, they dropped him back in coverage a little bit. And he played a little bit of out outside linebacker and he said and I talked to him earlier in the year before he opted out he said I'm a former safety so whenever I can drop back in coverage I, I still love to do that it's not foreign to me at all right yeah it would be an interesting fit for sure I mean again I think that you could take a guy like that and ask him to play a smaller role and in that way it is a good fit you know and that for Russo it's a good fit I would say for the Bucks, I wonder long term what they'd be getting and if they'd be getting a player the best player that they could possibly get at 32 with him. Um, okay. How about Penn state, Jason away and Texas, Joseph Asai. I mean, two players that didn't have a ton of production are kind of new to the sport. You know, Asai is yeah. you know, in a way, both kind of new to the sport, new to definitely the position uh, Asai played off the ball. Some comes and plays edge rusher this past year for Texas. Looks like he should have been playing edge all along, but he's clearly kind of 
developing very slowly, I think, at this point. Um, what do you make of those guys? It is kind of this class where we're, it feels like we're repeating ourselves with edge rusher, but like yeah. there just isn't a lot of finished products, right? It's a lot of raw guys and landing spots seem like they're going to be pretty critical. What do you think of Osai and away so far? Yeah, so early on, I really liked Osai, but coming out of it, I was expecting a little bit more for him to show me a little bit more this year. And he still had a good year for the most part, but I think he's a guy that wins for the most part off effort. And I wrote in a scouting report, he's like a wind-up toy, man. You just wind him up and he goes the entire game. Like, his motor does not stop. You're seeing Chase guys from the backside. He's making plays on the front side. He's very physical as a run defender, but he's just not a super bendy guy. So anytime mm-hmm. he's going to get production, is really going to come off of effort. That's the biggest thing with him. So he's going to have a lot of effort production, but that only gets you so far as an edge rusher. At, at some point, you have to be able to develop some moves show some ankle flexion and also some bend and being able to point to the quarterback. And Osai just doesn't consistently do that. But as far as effort, he's going to have a plus effort. He's going to give you that down in and down out. And then with Owe, it's just lack of production with him. And, I mean, the old scouting term, he's raw as a grocery store steak, man. That's what you get walking through the door. He has to be taught every single thing walking through the door. He, he, he does not have any production at all but as far as tools and traits he has that for days he has outstanding explosiveness off of the edge mm-hmm. go watch him against nebraska i think that was one of the better games that he showed this past yeah. year but he did record it in sacks so he has to go to a situation where he has a proven um guy as a position coach as far as a talent developer just because he's not going to be ready walking through the door he's just going to be running out there like a, a chicken with his head cut off and just winning off of athletic ability so he really has to be taught everything you have to you have to be patient with right. him just because he's that raw project but do you take that in first round that's really risky especially with a guy with no sack reduction right yeah it's uh it's, it is part of the challenge for sure there's so many names right now that are kind of floating around for the bucks at 32 that it is hard to kind of get a, a good grasp of who the t- some of the top options are going to be let me ask you this though defensive tackle Christian Barmore from Alabama. Again, I think it's probably a long shot that he's there based on what we're hearing and seeing at this point. But this draft, I'm leaving the door open for crazy things to happen because we really don't – we know less about what the NFL thinks probably than any draft before. And so uh, I'm leaving the door open for that to happen. Christian Barmore and Davian Nixon from Iowa. He's another guy that gets mocked to the Bucs a lot. Some people have Davian Nixon in the third round. Some people have him in the first round, you know, higher than the Bucs pick. What do you make of Davian Nixon, uh, especially, let's say Christian Barmore's off the board in this hypothetical. What do you make of Davian Nixon at this point in time? Do you think he's a player in your mind that's worthy of the 32nd overall pick? You know, we may have finally lost him there. Yeah, audio. Sorry about the audio issues, folks. Uh, with them. We're trying trying to get that sorted out. Uh, always part of the challenge with guests. You want to bring them on and everything, but you never know what the audio, what's going to happen with the audio and stuff. So we'll continue to try and uh, – try maybe get him back and see if he can work out uh, some of the audio issues um, on his end. It, and let me know in the, in the comments, if you, if you think it's audio show on my end too, uh, uh, again, for me, everything seems fine. It's just seemed like it was his end. Uh, it's both of us. I know at times I'm getting a new modem actually this week. Uh, so there'll be some, some improvements there hopefully, but yeah. Um, you know, I think that, man, some of those classes, you know, it is w- with, the different positions right now in the classes, you know, it's hard to know who's going to be on the board at all times um, because it's like, man, you want to bet on a defensive tackle that's going to be there and say, like, this is the guy, like Christian Barmer. I'm watching him right now, and I'm like, man, there's some traits that I, I really, 
I really like um, for him, for Christian Barmore, but at the same time, it's like I don't know that I can could count on him to a be there and be be a huge contributor right away. And so, it, it, part of the challenge is figuring out kind of all these different guys and figuring out like w- how is this thing going to work in terms of who's going to be there for the Bucks uh, and being that far down in the first round, you're like, I did, you know, again at 14 or 13, we kind of knew what were plausible scenarios for the Bucks, but we didn't always know you know, how it was all going to shake out. And now at 32, it's going to get a little bit trickier. Sorry, Jordan. I think your audio is freezing up a little bit there and your camera as well. I don't know if you can hear me better now. Yeah. Might be an issue. Yeah. I can hear you a little bit. Uh, Might be an issue. We just power through here for a few more minutes um, because connection being what it is right now. I'm not sure why that's the way that it is, but all right, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about things on on the running back position. You see a lot of different players mocked to the Bucks at the running back position. Uh, we've even seen Travis Etienne fall there in a few mocks before. I don't know if that's going to happen, but Javante Williams and Najee Harris, thoughts on those two? Do you feel like Najee Harris and Javante Williams, you know, who do you like more out of those two? And, you know, who do you think has a better chance of being there for the Bucs slash being a player that the Bucs are interested in? Well, I think it just really depends on the style of back that you want. I think both of those guys can be a three-down back Najee obviously has plenty more miles on him. He has more yards or more carries um, than, I believe, Josh Jacobs, all those guys coming out uh, from Alabama. So the rare case of a four-year player, as far as at the running back spot from Alabama, usually those guys have big years and they end up leaving early. But I'm going to be fan of Najee. It's just a matter of how early he's going to go. I think he's a, a very versatile player, especially for a bigger back. I think you can – really evolve a passing game around him. I think he's that special in the passing game. I'm not saying he's Alvin Kamara or anything like that, but right. I think some some of those type of routes as far as isolating running backs and then getting him out in space, I think he definitely can do that. He's a very determined runner, and he has the football as well. And then I think he has superb vision as well, even though he had a very dominant offensive line in front of him. But Javante Williams, it would not surprise me if he ends up being like the first or the second running back off of the board just because he's just a natural tackle breaker. And mm-hmm. then he was in a committee at North Carolina. So you're walk, he's walking through the door with less miles on him as well. A very good catcher out of the backfield and a great pass protector as well, which is going to be a requirement, obviously, of running backs on third down. So I'm a big fan of this player in Javante Williams. Yeah, yeah, well said. I mean, I think that I love Javante Williams. Obviously, everybody loves his physicality, but I think his game's really well-rounded too. And, again, not all flaws with those guys. Uh, okay, so let me ask you this. Let's say the Bucks pass on the top three running backs. They're off the board. They're looking to address the running back position, but they're looking to address it later in the draft. Day two, day th- early day three, let's say. Uh, let's get crazy and think early day three. They still haven't addressed running back. Don't think it's going to happen, but let's say that's the case. Who are some of the guys, you know, after those the top three that, that exist for most people, who are some of the guys at running back that you like? I think Trey Sermon out of Ohio State. I think he's one that could be probably in like the third or the fourth round range, depending on if they want to take him there. We saw how he hit his stride down the last stretch of the year when he came over from Oklahoma. Really struggled a little bit early on, but he started mm-hmm. to get more involved uh, as he continued to get reps there. Really hit his stride down the back stretch of the year. Played really well in the Big Ten Championship game against uh, Northwestern. I thought that was easily his best game of the year. And then everybody thought he was going to play well against Alabama, but he suffered the injury early on in that game. And that was going to be a big test for him as well in that 
game. So I think he's a player that can contribute out of the backfield as far as a receiving threat. And then also a rushing threat as well. Chuba Hubbard from Oklahoma State, he's kind of been forgotten a little bit in this running back class. I think he does have some just look in between the tackles a little bit. I think Chuba Hubbard definitely can be your guy, but he has to be coupled, he has to be coupled with somebody that is a well-rounded uh, receiving threat. But a deep – well, I should say a deep sleeper. He's not a deep sleeper anymore. But Jamar Jefferson, the running back from Oregon State, he's a bit of a smaller back, short shifty type of guy, very strong, really good contact balance as well. Great receiver out of the backfield as well. Had him for a great complimentary piece that can receive and catch the ball out of the backfield. I think he can be an option. Awesome. No, that's uh, good points and good to know some names. I think more than anything, Bucks fans have been kind of like, okay, we if we don't end up with one of these top three guys and we go with another position in the first round, it is kind of like, okay, what are the other options? Because it's not said to be the deepest running back class for sure. So good to know some names and good to hear some pass catching ability because as we know, uh, that is Bruce Arians really his big thing is being able to catch the football well and being able to make plays in the passing game. That's what matters for the running back position. It's really where the Bucs need to upgrade for sure. So Jordan Reed, ladies and gentlemen, always great insights. Wish the audio was a little bit better, Jordan, and, and we could have even longer. We're going to have to get you back in here before the draft or even after the draft to break down your thoughts on some of the Bucks picks and everything. Uh, I do apologize for that. At Jordan underscore Reed, R-E-I-D on Twitter. Make sure you give Jordan a follow. Make sure you ask him your draft questions. He uh, really provides great insight in the draft, and he keeps it classy all the time too, which is what I appreciate about him in a field that can get heated about football sometimes. Always appreciate his insight and his temperament. So, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us today, man. I appreciate it. There goes Jordan. I think he's uh, still probably having some audio issues there, but uh, definitely sorry about that, folks, uh, trying to make the most uh, of those issues um, for sure, uh, you know, with, with in the audio because he does have great insights on the players. You know, it is – you want to get those insights, but it is so hard to guess sometimes because you just have no clue what the connection is going to be like. And, uh, you know, even lately here, again, it might be part of living in a development a community that's being developed still right now and building houses around and a lot of things changing and stuff. Um, even my connection hasn't been perfect as of late for sure. So um, working through those kinks, uh, like I said, getting a new modem this weekend. Um, so that should help things as well. I'll bo boost the connection a little bit. Uh, Spectrum told me they were going to do it anyway, but I'm feeling like at this point they were lying. So um so, yeah, so good stuff from Jordan. I mean, he gave us names to think about and talk about for sure. Insight on some of those prospects, if you could hear them. I mean, really interesting that there are so many edge rushers in this class. We really have no idea who is going to be available there for the Bucs at 32. One of the things that makes it such a fascinating draft for the Bucs is obviously not having a crying need as things currently sit. But I honestly believe Shaq Barrett is going to be the most difficult of the free agents the Bucs have to resign to bring back. I mean, He's a guy who's he's never he's never cashed in big. He wants to do that. He definitely wants to get paid. There's a possibility he gets out there on a team, one of these bad teams that has more cap space, throws 21 or 22 million at him if he hits free agency and he comes back to the Bucks. I I don't know if they match quite that high. I don't know what they do. Um, and so that's not a guarantee that Shaq Barrett is back. I do think I would bet on him being back if I had to bet. Um but I don't think it's a guarantee uh, that he's back. Uh, so uh, I think because of that, you have to look at you have to look at edge rusher. You have to evaluate that position. You know, you have to continue to think about uh, you know, what your options are. And if he's not back, my guess is the Bucks try and get an established veteran, a Justin Houston, 
um, uh, maybe a Ryan Kerrigan, someone like that, and they pair him with a young draft pick. They would then at that point, remember Jason Light said, we don't have any needs if we bring back all our guys. Well, if they didn't bring back all their guys and Shaq Barrett was to get away from the team, my guess would be, okay, now we're going to prioritize edge rusher. It doesn't mean they definitely take one, but it means that that's their priority in the draft. Just like offensive tackle, it was their priority. If Tristan Works doesn't fall, maybe they don't take one. And so I think that's how they'd evaluate 32. They'd say, okay, that's our priority now. But if there's nobody there we like, we'll go a different direction. We'll come back later in the draft. Um, but to me, that would be the formula rather than saying, okay, let's sign a Matt Judon to a big contract or let's sign a Bud Dupree to a big contract. I'm not sure they would do that if they weren't willing to get there with Shaq. Um, I don't know why they'd be willing to get there with somebody else. Even if it's a little bit cheaper, maybe it's a possibility. But the problem is at that point with Shaq, you may have lost out on some of the top guys, and that represents the struggle of trying to come to an agreement. So it really depends on what Shaq's camp is asking for the contract. But that, to me, still puts Edge Rusher at the top of the Bucks' needs, especially with Jason Pierre-Paul older, have some injury stuff in his past and, and in a contract year. Um, you need to be able to figure out the edge rusher position because there's just nothing to count on behind those two guys. So you got to upgrade number three. You might need a number one or number two, whatever you consider Shaq. Um, and then you got to think about the future of the position after JPP. So there's just a, enough question marks at edge rusher right now for that to be the main topic of discussion uh, around Bucks, uh, the Bucks, in my opinion. That's why we spend the most amount of time on that. But it doesn't rule out defensive tackle either. I'm watching Christian Barmore right now and i'm thinking man here's a player that to me has the some of the best upside at the position and he already started to recognize it this past year at alabama when you see an interior defensive lineman that knows how to cross the face of a guard or a center and work to their edge that to me is a good sign most of these guys in college they just try to power through people and it just doesn't work in the nfl you got to have a plan you got to be able to beat guys with quickness get on their edge um you know and bend a little bit to the pocket things like that and he does that in fact there was an edge rush rep against Texas A&M, I believe, where Barmore fires off the edge, cross chops a guy and gets to the quarterback and the quarterback gets the ball out in time. But really impressive rep. He's got really good flexibility for a big guy, uh, for sure. I don't think he's going to be a stud against the run right away, but the Bucs are going to have to find some players like that that are going to be more impactful in the pass game uh, than they are in the run game. And they're just going to have to live with it. So again, I don't think that there is one position that they definitely go to, but you have you have very short-term solutions right now on your defensive line. Even if Sue comes back, if McClendon comes back, short-term solution, guys. You know, same thing. Anthony Nelson, not a guy who's going to be around long-term. JPP, one year, uh, he's uh, one year left on his contract. So it's just a lot of short-term solution, guys. And you need better depth and contributions this next season as well. So it might not be a 1,000 snap guy that you're drafting in the first round like you did with Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield in the second round last year. But I do think it's a guy who's going to have to be able to contribute in some way and eventually become a starter, perhaps even as early as 2022. Um, so it's an important, important draft pick that will give them a lot of flexibility if they can nail it. They've had a great track record with the draft. It gets trickier at 32. It definitely does. And trading down uh, going to be an option uh, for them as well. Do want to talk to you about locker room? We have had a bunch of guests on locker room late, lately. A bunch of guests, I should be you, the fans, being the guests. Uh, you know, it's locker room is an app that is changing the way we talk about sports. It's the only place for live audio conversations about the takes, rumors, news, and teams you care about with the fans. So the fans, you come in with us in these locker room chats. Pewter reports well up over. I think they have like a hundred. We have like hundred and ten 
followers now on that thing. And this app is brand new. We just launched on it about a month or and a half ago. All through the playoffs, we had conversations on there pregame, halftime of games. Now we're doing them uh, around my Bucks briefing columns. We're going to have draft conversations in there. We're also going to react to free agency there and stuff. So even if you're not like, oh, I'm going to tune in for all these shows, get the app, download the locker room app. And you can react. We we were going to react to sports news as it happens. So as things happen in free agency and trades, we'll jump on there. We'll talk about those things a lot of time. You can be on the app and get notified when we go live. So if you are able to join in the show, great. You jump in with us and you listen, or you 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 can get on and talk to and say uh, your thoughts on on a move or a trade or a signing um, or re-signing, hopefully. Um, and and you can do that, or you can say, okay, not this time, but next time, you know. But you're on the app. You're following Peter Report. You're getting notified when we go live. So if you have the availability, you can jump into the conversation as well. You can rep your favorite teams, find your community. Better Sports Talk is just a tap away. Download on the Apple App Store and join the conversation on Locker Room. Fun, fun stuff with those guys. Um, okay, so we talked about edge rushers and defensive tackles. The other interesting thing was Jordan mentioning some running backs. He was talking about guys that could be available in day two and day three of the draft. That's a scenario we haven't done a lot of dialogue and discussion on on this podcast is what happens if you don't get one of the big three backs it's clearly going to be it's to me that is running back they're just it's probably not a position they are going to have all the answers for in free agency even if they sign somebody it's probably not going to be the long-term solution at the position i really fully don't believe that they think ronald jones is that guy so maybe they wait and do it next year's draft but i think they want to go into this next year with a better option at running back especially in the past game so who are those, some of those guys that it could be? And he gave us some names. I think that would be interesting to, to see what happens. We've talked about Michael Carter from UNC, Javante Williams' teammate. He's an option uh, for sure as well. So, again, I think it's going to be a matter of, like last year, they wanted Antonio Gibson, right? They wanted Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Those guys, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire was, was off the board. Antoine Winfield was still on the board. They valued him over Antonio Gibson. They took him, but clearly the Bucks recognized this is a need. We need to address it. They did some things. They drafted Keyshawn Vaughn later in the draft, underwhelming rookie season. They, they end up picking up Leonard Fournette. He's a free agent now. They signed LaShawn McCoy. He's a free agent now, and that didn't work out either. So, again, it becomes now a situation where you're saying, okay, that was clearly a need for us. We clearly didn't feel like it was answered with any of those guys. There's still the chance Leonard Fournette's back. Again, I don't think it's likely, but there's a chance Leonard Fournette's back. Even if he is, I don't know if they feel like they found their solution at the position long-term. Leonard Fournette's back. It might be a one-year deal because he's hoping to cash in when the cap goes back up uh, if he can beat out Ronald Jones and have another good year in Tampa Bay. So I don't think the long-term solution is going to be found until the draft for the Bucs. So it, it will be a priority, in my opinion. First round, I don't know. And if it isn't first round, can they find somebody later in the draft? History tells us that teams definitely typically have done that. The rumors are on this class that's not the best after that point in the draft. So it's going to be fun to keep tabs on. Jordan gave us some good names to check out and continue to talk about on this podcast. We'll definitely continue to do that uh, as next week starts as well. So there's fun stuff surrounding this Bucks draft, even though we're in a position that not, not typically used to being in picking at the end of the first round at number 32. And like Jason Light said, a lot of things depend on what the teams in front of you do. And we don't have, we have less clarity on what's going to happen with the first 31 picks now than in any draft. We don't have the combine where everybody's around each other talking. We barely had the senior bowl. Tons of media weren't even at the senior bowl. Teams aren't even as accessible as they typically are. They're used to this COVID era now. So we're not getting the information that we typically get. Even when now what's going to happen too, or big companies are going to try to manufacture those headlines by stretching the truth and stretching what they're hearing to mean something else. 
it is going to be more of a season for disinformation than ever before. We're going to try to guide you through it as best we can, but we'll be honest about the limitations. At 32, you're dependent upon a lot of what happens in front of you, and uh, you have to have some things go right, I believe, for for them to, to cash in on this draft. And so it's going to be fun to track, fun to progress through. But free agency comes first. Tampering period, I think March 15th, I think that opens up. So we are very, is that 20 days? <laughs> it's crazy moving fast. Uh, 20 days and so until that happens. And so we're, there's going to be lots to monitor up until that point. And we talked yesterday about Jason Light, Bruce Arians, Presser. So you can go back, check out those that show and uh, hear our thoughts on, on what those guys had to say uh, yesterday during their media availability. So fun times as always. We do apologize for those audio issues on the podcast uh, earlier today. Uh, hate when that happens for sure. Appreciate y'all sticking with us. Appreciate y'all listening and checking out the pod. We'll continue to try and make it bigger and better every single time that we're on. Uh, until next time, Monday, 4 p.m., we'll be live again next week. Should be a fun show as it always is. So uh, appreciate y'all tuning in and jumping on. And until then, uh, thanks so much for listening to another edition of the Pewter Report Podcast. Out. <laughs>